0: Hi folks, Um, before we get started, it has been pointed out to me that some listeners may not be familiar with all of the material we discuss in this episode. So I have provided links, references, and videos on the page for this episode at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com and a link to that page in the show notes. I'd also like to say... um, Sinead O'Connor has been in the news lately following the tragic death of her son. We were unaware of this when discussing her, but if you are interested in following and supporting her, I will include her Twitter handle in the show notes. Okay, buckle up, folks.
1: So I've had horrible anxiety about this episode for, you know, the whole week. Sorry. Uh, Because I hate... I hate talking about anything other than movies, even though we are talking about movies. It still is like, I get so uncomfortable expressing my opinion on anything that isn't like about whether a movie's fascinating or not. So I get, Cause I just don't think, I don't think I'm smart enough to be able to hold those conversations. Like I shy away from all conversations about, and also I have the great fear that I'll get in a fight. Like, I don't want to get in a fight with you. I don't want to disagree. I don't, I don't want to have a thing where you say something and I disagree. And then you have to like go back to defend it. And then I still like I don't want it to be like talk, I don't want to end up talking about any of these people or subjects for like way long because we don't agree on it or see eye to eye exactly. You know? Yeah.
0: I'm, I, so first, hey. <laughs> first of all, we're not going to fight. That's 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 not going to happen. What we may do, what we may do is we may get through this and I'll edit it all together, and we'll listen back to it and be like, "Hey, you know what? Can we redo that part? I didn't like what I said. Yeah. I didn't like how that what? came out. Like that's the, that's the extent of where it might okay. get to. And don't cut out anything
1: I say just to make you no, look better. No, 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 same thing with no, the, no. I'm gonna, put, I'm, I'm, done. I'm gonna <laughs> put it all.
0: The only thing I cut. The only thing I'll cut out content-wise for this conversation is ums uhs us talking over each (laughs) other's likes you knows i won't cut out any content because this i think it's really important (laughs) that we both get to listen to it and are both able to say even though like there was nothing bad about that but i thought about i could express myself better there was something i didn't say there's something i wanted to say you know yeah so this is a good one to remember that this is not live yes we
1: can always go back and make it the thing that we want to make
0: yes I just,
1: I just, because of my OCD, I latch on to negative things. So in my head, I've already done this episode. It ended up with us fighting. No. You never wanting to talk to me again. The show is over. (laughs) Nope. Or it goes out in the world and we, everyone just hates us. No. No one listens to the show again. And this is just like, this is how I think about everything though. Like this is like every conversation I have with, my writing partner Zach. This is every conversation I have with my wife, with my mother, like it just the OCD brain is prone to like horrible anxiety about the future, and so then I visit every path in the future that I could le- reach that has a only a negative outpoint. Like OCD, for whatever reason, never latches on to anything positive. <laughs> it's only on the things that are negative, so. But you know, this is what I live with daily. Mental illness is fun,
0: so. Um, <laughs> and just just to be like, I want to like address one of your other concern, other concerns. Sure. Yeah, this is not going to be. We're not. We're not making the case for or against any. Like, we're not. I, the the idea isn't to dig into. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about Woody Allen. I'm going to talk about uh, Sinead O'Connor. I'm going to talk about Charlie Chaplin. But in broad strokes, yeah. and as a way to point out a dynamic in the way that people talk about films and art film artists yeah. okay. throughout history that is you know that there's a historical precedent precedent for wrongness i think that's kind yeah. of, that's kind of that's what i want to call this like the world is wrong about wrongness <laughs> and then we're going to talk yeah. about what wrong what we consider to be wrongness and if you're cool with it i i sort of have a, a a template for this, of a way to... I've been yeah. thinking about it. No, see, I, my brain works the opposite. I have a utopian. <laughs> I'm like the the cowgirls. I have my utopian <laughs> visions. And my thing... my I always think about, like, how can... Like, how can we do this <clears throat> so that everybody gets it? So that it is... Yeah. So that <clears throat> even if you disagree with it, you're like, oh, I can see how someone can think that way. And... Like, yeah, Yeah. this isn't – I mean, unless you feel the need (laughs) to defend SNL (laughs) 25 years ago for blacklisting (laughs) Sinead O'Connor or – I'm not you. Unless the listener feels obliged to defend major corporations or big agencies or – the yeah. way that film studios misuse artists and talent—I mean, I think we can agree that we're on the yeah, the no, artist
1: and, side. and I de- and I and I definitely have some interesting points about these things from the video store perspective, also. Yeah, because these conversations existed there between customers and employees like constantly.
2: Yeah.
1: Um I just don't want to get in a fight with you. I don't want to be like no, you say something and I'm like, well, I disagree with that, and I don't want to go into why I disagree with it, and then you're like, well, but what about that? And then I just don't want it to become. Like, this is why I don't talk about religion or abortion or like modern politics because I just, it always gets so messy and I'm so ill educated on everything because I'm an American that I cannot talk about these things in a smart way. Like, I really am one of those idiots who only exist through the love of movies. And like, I don't function in any other way. Like I'm like, I'm like rain man in that way. Well, so, I'm, I guess so. I just, it, in the, on just, the it's, off it's,
0: chance we encounter that, the thing that I would, you know, that I would ask <laughs> is that in areas, and this is just, uh, this is what I try and do. Like if, if there's an area where I don't know something, but I have an opinion, like, yeah, I don't like diopter lenses. <laughs> have you ever used one? No, but I just think it's so pretentious. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean. And then if I was talking with someone who was who knew who was a director who'd used, split yeah, di- they'd be like, actually, you're talking about a split diopter, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And then oh yeah, <laughs> I'm dumb about this. But could you educate? <laughs> I'm curious to know what you who have so- thought more about this. share with me you know what i mean and i and
1: and i will plead ignorance i will i will be like i haven't done as much research on you as this or that or you're more passionate about it so i am kind of at a state of like with most things i am just kind of i'm the lame guy who's just like i don't know i really don't know like i don't know either way like that's not but
0: and that's in in (laughs) our world in the world of the world is wrong that guy, the guy who's willing to say I don't know is the smartest man in the world. I guess that's that is where you want
1: to be, I guess approaching any movie. It's just sort of like I don't know. Great. Now is the right time to watch nothing but trouble because you don't know. <laughs> and then at the end maybe you will know. So it's Yeah. I know. I just want I just want to yeah. go as knowing that I love I love you. I think you're a great friend
0: and I don't want to have any I'm, feelings. There is not going to be anything. there are not going to be there's not there's no unless you have like <laughs> Unless you have ma- maliciousness towards me, which you don't, then there won't be. Then there won't be like that's yeah. not that's <clears throat> that's not the nature of our of our conversations or our friendship or this conversation. Great, and okay. I am not. <laughs> believe me, this is not. Uh, yeah, this is the uh, opposite of an angry making situation. <laughs> I'm just super excited to be having this conversation with an intelligent person who's and ready to have I- the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, and I've been recording since I picked up the phone, so you can use any of this.
1: Cool. <laughs> so can... cool. It's...
3: I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to
1: the World is Wrong
2: podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about...
0: Wrongness. Wrongness. <laughs> look, yeah. Look.
1: Grady's notes. Wrongness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome to The World is Wrong and Extremely... Positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists. The world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones,
1: and I'm Brian Connolly, the other host.
0: I think I pronounced my own name kind of weird. I said Andras Jones. Like, I'm <laughs> hey, Nick, it's your name. You Nick can change. No, I don't want to confuse people. I spend all my time trying to get pe- people. to I grew. I the one of the reasons that I think I gravitate to this idea is that people have been saying my name wrong my whole life so <laughs> really
1: yeah yeah no yeah no one ever says my, my name wrong but they spell it wrong constantly yes
0: yeah is that how you put that how you pronounce your last name constantly Brian constantly <laughs> yeah uh, so we're here today to talk about... A, a larger concept that informs this podcast. Uh, so we're not really here to talk about any particular film. It's the beginning of the year. We just had our episode with John Ronson. He's someone who, in his own way, approaches the wrongness in the world. Another word you might use is the cognitive dissonance. When the evidence in front of you doesn't match up to the narrative around that, that evidence. And so, and there have been some percolating issues. You may have noticed listening to this podcast when we talk about Instagram and Twitter that we kind of joke about how Brian's doing the Instagram, it's all positive over there. And then I'm doing the Twitter, it's all negative over there. And it's not, it's not. But uh, that is kind of how we've. Divided our social media activities up until this point. We actually have uh, a new team that's going to be working on that. So this, that, that is going to be less of an issue for us. But yeah, it does touch on an issue that I feel like we need to get to. And we've talked about this and we're going to unpack it. But basically, you went over and looked at the Twitter account and you saw that I had uh, shared... Something that Wallace Shawn said about Woody Allen, and I had shared some stuff about Julian Assange, and it made you a little bit nervous that I was po- <laughs> that I was. Uh, well, I, I won't put words in your. It made you nervous enough to call me and say, "Hey, we need to talk." And then we talked, and it was great because we all of our conversations are. I, I don't think we've ever had a negative conversation. Um, have we? Have we ever fought? Um. No, I think there's been times
1: when we've both been gotten worked up, but we're always good at the other one not matching that. I think that that makes for a good friendship. It's like with one, like, and especially because I'm a prone to anxiety and nervousness, that if I come to you with that, you come back with a calm, <laughs> I think calm that, that washes over my body and brings me down, where, <laughs> where yeah. which is good because I need that. I, I guess because <laughs> so if, that... ma- if you if you because when you what get what's a problem is when you. With, with any conversation with somebody, if you go at them with anxiety nervousness and they match that or try to beat that, then that just builds and builds and builds and then nobody's happy until you crash and burn out.
0: <laughs> so I, would, I guess it would be fair to say that intellectually we trigger each other, but emotionally, for some reason, the way we match, we just don't really... Like when you're freaked out, I don't get... Triggered by it, like oh my god, Brian hates me. Brian's mad at me. Brian's, you know, he's you know, it's sort of like oh, Brian's struggling with something. I want to help him, you know. And I feel like I feel like I get the same thing from you, like a sense of like (laughs) I'm nervous about this. I don't know, but I'm not. But I, but never like what I get from other people, which is like. The trigger, the one that's triggering for me, is someone saying, "Well, you said and did this, and you meant this and that." And I'm like, "Well, no, I didn't." Well, yes, you did. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do now because <laughs> you've misinterpreted something I said, and you're telling me what I meant, and yeah. are insisting on it being an insult and an attack, and it's not. Uh, so, again, we're—I think we are—I uh, think we're well matched to have this conversation. I think I hope people who listen sure. to this podcast get that. Like, we're. We have friendships that we have a friendship that can certainly uh, survive disagreements over films, which some friendships can't. And true. Even about larger, sort of more personal, uh, you know, tougher issues. But, and we're not really going to get into those here. But I, but I did want to talk about this. I think it, it, your concern about what you saw me sharing on Twitter and my strong desire to share things like that because i feel like it's <laughs> uh, it's it's um in keeping with with what we do on the world is wrong brings up a, a i think a larger conversation that's good for us to have and i think it's good for us to let the listeners in on because um well you like like I just always feel it's weird when you can tell that there's something in the background. Like, oh, what are they joking about, about, Twitter and Instagram? What's? I don't think that the Twitter is so negative, and I don't think the Instagram is so positive. What's going on? Like, like, there's something else yeah. going on here. What? Mom and Dad are talking about something, but they're not really saying what they're talking about. Could you just... Is Are you guys breaking up? No, no, we're not breaking up. We're thinking of moving. Oh, I don't want to move. You know. Um, so, could, So could you... Could you just start this off? Well, I've already started sure. off. But could you share yeah. what yeah. it was that was your concern <laughs> I, about what you saw on Twitter? You don't have to go into the specifics, but just in general, what was your reaction? I think,
1: well, okay. Uh, backtrack to me as a child. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, was, I was raised, the way my family is, is that we do not talk about politics. We do not talk about religion. We don't really talk about it much of anything of importance. And I I was just kind of, I don't know if I learned this from my parents because they're they're easygoing people or whatever. But it's just sort of like you don't rock the boat. You just, you keep it all in a comfortable place so everybody's happy. And so I've never shared, like, I never want to have a conversation about, like, what are your views on abortion? Even if I know that I'm going to agree with them. I just don't feel comfortable because I don't want to upset anybody. (laughs) I don't want to talk about, I don't believe in your religion, but I believe in this one. Or you're voted for this person or you voted for that. And I think a lot of it, so I'm just going to, oh, and I think that's kind of why I've always embraced movies and why I love podcasts about movies. And I'm not instead talking about the front page of the New York Times every week. (laughs) Because to me, it's a safe, it's a safe argument. Like arguing about a movie is a safe place for me. Like if Even if it's a movie about intense issues, I can handle talking about those issues within the context of a movie. And it feels like a safe place because at the end of the day, it's just a movie and it's just somebody's opinion or some a group of people's opinion or a work of art or entertainment. And so though I've had intense conversation about movies and sometimes I've been annoyed by people and have left in a huff in a conversation about a movie before or a few times before... All the time before, (laughs) all the time before, that I feel like that—that is something I can handle. Whereas, like, I'm one of those people, and maybe it's because I've since I can remember have always had high anxiety. Like high anxiety,
4: whenever you're near,
5: high anxiety—it's you
1: that I fear. Like. Not high anxiety like the movie High Anxiety, like not a fear of heights, though I do have a fear of heights. But I, the anxiety levels within me are always at a percolating, bubbling, <laughs> over rate. Something I've worked on my whole life and struggled with my whole life. And so because of that, I have like a million triggers. And so I don't read the news, ever. Like I basically, like I've tried to, and then it just seeps into my brain and ruins my whole day. And so I just kind of rely on my wife to tell me the important things. Like she's the filter. <laughs> Cause I look at the news and I'm like, I'm overwhelmed by all of this. And maybe I have an opinion or not, but I don't know. And I and I don't want to, I don't have the time to do the research. And the more research I do on any subject, the more upset or nervous I get, or the more unsure I am, because I just question everything. And so I have my wife tell me the important highlights of the month or week of like what I need to know to function as a human being. It's a lot of like, before I go to work, she'll be like, just so you know, this isn't the news right now. So if you hear someone talk about it, that's what they mean. And I'm like, thank you. And then I go away with my little lunch pail off to school. And so, it's, so when I see things that I am unfamiliar with, uneducated on, <clears throat> Or that I, but or all that I know about it is this is a hot button issue for people, or some people, or fifty percent of people, that I kind of run away screaming, being like, I don't want to deal with that, like I don't want to fight with people, and I think also, uh, I definitely was more online and more on social media pre twenty sixteen, and then the twenty sixteen election was got so weird with people people that i love people in my family people that are friends and it wasn't just a right versus left it was like within the left i mean i'm sure you experienced this everyone did yeah you had you had the bernie people you had the hillary people you had the none none of those people and everyone just kind of hating each other and being like no you're wrong no you're wrong fuck you fuck you and it ends with everyone fighting online but then it's confusing because then you see the people in person and they're fine and you're like, I'm confused. Is this an online personality? And it's just like and it just gets twisted and confusing. And I guess why I hate social media in general. I think people put on a mask for it, they put on a different voice than they are necessarily not everybody, but a lot of people in in life. And so someone who's obnoxious and horrible online could be delightful and great in the real world. <laughs> so when I went and saw <laughs> Twitter, which I don't think I've ever looked at Twitter before. I don't even know why I did. I think I was just sort of like, oh, what's going on over there? I always hear about it. I'm going to walk over here. And I was just like, oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want to see how the sausage was made. I didn't want to. I didn't. Well, I didn't want to see my parents have sex so Wow! My sharing Wallace like, sean's
0: <laughs> defense of Woody Allen was like walking in. It was that it was. I didn't even comment on it, know.
1: and so then I had to like run away and hide from it and be like, because okay. I mean, for me, Instagram is safer only in that it has just been kind of like here are clips from the movies. Here's our, and again, it's like within that safe space for me, of the opinions are all just around a movie. Yeah. So once like so that so that's my long rant as to why I'm uncomfortable in general with that kind of stuff. If that does that make sense? Do I sound like a crazy person? Not at all. Not at no. all. But just to,
0: like <laughs> since we're going back to origins, let me just. So my my family background is we like sometimes to to my annoyance, but my family is a very very talk about politics kind of family. Uh, I have several members of my family who actually work in the Democratic Party or, or with the Democratic Party, some you know actually employed within the Democratic Party, and s- several, many, who volunteer time extensively. So it's a very political family, you could say. So in my family, that divide you're talking about of the Bernie people versus the— uh, other Democrat, <laughs> the, the <laughs> centrist, or whatever the the right wing Democrats, or whatever, however you want to call them. Obviously, I have my I have a I have a horse in this race, so I I have a hard time <laughs> talking about them as just the Hillary people. Um, and that could get. But the point is that my family is very talks a lot about politics, and there's a reason that goes like my great grandfather came over from Russia, and he was. One of the original Russian communists, like in a small wow. group with Lenin and Trotsky, and and he came to America at, as uh, as that revolution sort of curdled and moved to its uh, well, moved where it, where it moved, and he came to America, and my grandfather who was a, an academic, a scientist at MIT, very well respected, eventually became the head of the, uh, the electrical engineering department at MIT. But during the 50s, he was called before HUAC because mm-hmm. of my great-grandfather's affiliations. And that hung over our family for decades. Like, basically, mm-hmm. they called him, and then when... Political winds turned, you know. The I forget who the senator was. When I was a how dare you, sir! How dare you, sir! And that was on TV. And the McCarthy thing started to shift away from targeting individuals with HUAC and more to putting out a larger uh, propaganda campaign. To, you know basically, once you once you'd established that communists were evil and criminals, then you could easily go after them or people who you associated with them, including civil rights activists, which my grand, my great grandfather, he came to America and worked as a lawyer. and actually, as a lawyer working with the Communist Party of the United States, was part of the legal team defending the Scottsboro Boys, which was a very famous trial. In fact, I'll just read a little bit about it from the Wikipedia because uh, in a way it speaks to this whole thing that we're exploring. So the Scottsboro Boys were nine African-American teenagers, ages 12 to 19, accused in Alabama of raping two white women in 1931. And the landmark set of legal cases from this incident dealt with racism and the right to a fair trial. The cases included a lynch mob before the suspects had been indicted, all white juries, rushed trials, and disruptive mobs. And it is commonly cited as an example of the miscarriage of justice in the United States legal system and like as i said my my great grandfather was part of the legal team defending uh, the the Scottsboro boys and so i guess you can see all of this informs me <clears throat> and yeah. so and those and so again you can sort of see how this would inform me to Go to a yeah. place where we need to talk about this stuff and we need to address the wrongness in the world. And particularly for my family, after my grandfather was called before HUAC, it really um, put a, a chill over my family that I only learned about in my in adulthood with my mother telling me about the ways that she sort of felt unable to express herself. For a mm. lot of her youth and into her adulthood. and Got it. Uh, which is funny to me because I always think of her as someone who is incredibly expressive. But her experience of life is of someone who has to hide some sh- shameful secret. I, I, I wrote, uh, m- there, what was it? After my grandmother died, my mom told me a story about a picture of my great-grandfather with Lennon. I was like, what do you mean? Like at a at a like at a rally or a big thing? She's like, no, no, at a coffee shop. Oh, whoa. And I was like, well, can we see those pictures? She's like, no, grandma would have destroyed them. Wow. You know? Uh the world is wrong. Um So <laughs> that's that's, so <laughs> that's what in, so we I we come from it from very different places that we have definitely that yes is the way our family deals with these issues. So before we get into the specifics, I want to share a concept that uh, I think will be useful here and I hope can be useful to listeners just in general when you encounter a situation where there's a you know there's a there's a trigger or a hook or there's something where two people who come from different backgrounds, are looking at the same thing and getting charged over it. Because even though we're – and this is the good thing about our friendship. When we come together as friends, we are we care about each other. But when we go back into our initial cor- our own corners, I'm like, I care about this issue. And I'm like, I don't want to get attacked. You're like, I don't want to get attacked. <laughs> you know, so we are charged about this. You may not hear it from our conversation because we just genuinely like each other and enjoy talking. Yeah. Um, but this is the concept so when you encounter a situation like that it's three words that I it's a three word program that I try to um, engage it's recognize de-escalate and decode so recognize basically is you calling me up and saying hey I'm nervous about this what's going on there's something its something's up for me that would be in a or me saying after you bring that up, hey, we should have a conversation about this on the podcast. You know, I have an issue. You know, we so we are re- we're recognizing that there's something that's hooked here. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then deescalate is rather than be like, oh no, we got to cancel the podcast. I can't be friends with Brian anymore, or I can't. You know, Andras <laughs> is dangerous. You know, or you know, whatever. That's an escalation. The deescalation is. Well, let's think about it. Like, okay. now that I know that that's an issue, let's take a step back. Let's each think about it. Let's set up a time to get together and talk, whether it's on the phone or in person, and then decode. Basically, we've de-escalated. We've set a place where we can sit and actually have a conversation where our nervous systems aren't engaged and we don't feel like we're being attacked. (laughs) Um, It's really hard to have a conversation that's intelligent when you're feeling like you need to protect yourself. Yeah, and then decode is kind of what we're doing here. He's like, and sort of we just started it. Like my background is this. My background is this. Here we okay. Now I understand why. You know, I I get why you're triggered about just the just the fact that this conversation exists, and vice versa. <laughs> you're tr- you get why yeah. I'm triggered that this conversation doesn't exist. <laughs> and it's like okay, knowing that this is how we're how we're situated, (laughs) how can we then get into the nitty gritty of like untangling these wires and getting into a place where even though you may not ultimately agree with me and I may not ultimately agree with you, we know each other well. There's an intimacy that's built that's sort of like, oh, that's his struggle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It makes me a little nervous that he's, you know, if you were sitting next to me that like, oh, it makes me a little nervous he's wearing his Bernie Sanders t-shirt to the holiday party. But <laughs> I get why he's doing that because his family was attacked as communists by the whole United States yeah. for decades. And so maybe he just feels like he has to be the guy who's like, no, fuck you, Bernie. Look at him. Give me a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, maybe it won't be as triggering to you because you know, that's my issue, not yeah, yeah. an attack against you. But me, and vice versa, that there, if I was sitting next to you in an office cubicle and whatever, whatever, I don't know what it would be. You'd have to tell me, I'm not going to out you as what it would be. That would be the thing. But I think that once you've decoded where the triggers are and why people are doing a certain thing, then it's easier to not take those things as an attack that you need to protect yourself from. And maybe it's just a sign that, oh, and maybe I could go put my arm around that person and say, cool shirt. Great. You know, that took a lot of guts to wear that shirt here. You know, now could, but it is making Sarah a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you should go over and put your arm, you know, like, let her know that you don't hate her because she voted for Hillary, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we start to build a world where we are conscious of the, not just what people believe, but why they believe it. And yeah. how they're navigating through a world that is full of cognitive dissonance and triggers, and so that's kind of what I like, like to bring that spirit to this conversation. Great, and uh, and I, and also just to encourage people to try and do this when they come up against this, because I, I I'm a big believer in this. I'm a big believer in this process, but I'm also. Uh, a big believer that the reason that this is important is because generally we do the opposite. We don't. We refuse to recognize. We escalate and then never even try to understand. We're just like, oh well, yeah. you know, fuck that guy, and then we just keep setting up these dynamics. So, um, so can I tell you why I think why why I shared. Uh, Wallace Shawn's defense of Woody Allen and why I shared the Julian Assange piece. Please, you know. yes. So, personally, I believe it's impossible to do what we're doing on The World is Wrong without addressing Woody Allen. Um, and not simply just because, uh, not just simply Woody Allen, the, the director, but because as an artist who's the target of a dangerous, because he's the target of a dangerous dynamic that affects us all, which is also true of Julian Assange, but we aren't a journalism podcast, so, but if people who are familiar with the Julian Assange case, he's a journalist, he's being prosecuted under the Espionage Act, which criminalizes sort of basic aspects of journalism. So whether or not you like Julian Assange, the attempt to prosecute him for practicing journalism threatens all journalists everywhere. And we won't get into the case of Julian Assange. You can look it up. There's a, you know, I I could recommend places that you could go to get uh, better information. I would avoid, you know, corporate news sources because they're generally... uh, On board with the narrative that he's a criminal and he's not a journalist. He's not a real journalist, even though what he's being prosecuted for is the basics of journalism, which is taking information from your sources and publishing it. Um, Yeah. So, but we're talking about, what? but we're not a, we're not a journalism podcast. We are a film podcast. And... I believe that Woody Allen's filmography, uh, his filmography, and his role as the target of a very high-profile campaign being waged in part by major media conglomerates such as HBO and Amazon, as well as the uh, the white Faro family, because there's a whole there's a whole part of the Faro family that is cut out of this dialogue, and they also happen to be the non-white members of the family. That all of this is directly in the wheelhouse of what we do, and at any rate, it's something that I take very seriously. And we've never really talked about it, and I think we need to. Um, so, does that make sense? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm <laughs> uncomfortable, but it's making sense. Great, keep so, continue. So, just to <laughs> just to clarify that, so HBO, like, I, there are some people who listen to this is like say, I believe. You know, I believe Dylan. I believe Dylan. Okay, you can. That's that is totally a valid point of view. I think that if you say I believe, you know, believe Dylan, but Sun Yi and Moses are liars and don't listen to them, even though they're talking, they're claiming abuse as victims of Mia Pharaoh, then we get into an a, a dodgier territory. But even that is not what I'm talking about. Uh, what I'm talking about is when HBO. Is putting in the, like puts out this documentary Alan versus Pharaoh that is that leaves out a lot, a lot of information that even people who just know documentary filmmaking and don't have a horse in the race are like, well, this is an incredibly prejudiced documentary. Maybe it's maybe the assertions it's making are correct, but the way it's doing it is incredibly manipulative and just not good filmmaking. Um, it's good propaganda. Um, But even that, you could just say, okay, well, there's that. But then you watch in their comedy shows. I've watched two of their comedy shows in the last few years, The Other Two and Hack. And in both of those films, they put lines in characters' mouths that basically say that Woody Allen is a sexual predator, as if that is a proven fact. When he's been cleared by multiple panels, the evidence—like, anyone who looks at the evidence clearly— sees that there are there's a there's a lot to to call that into question again i don't want to really unpack the whole like we can't there's too much information there but in general when a major media corporation is targeting a prominent i would say this is where it's important that it's 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 important that we acknowledge that he is a prominent Jew and that there is a history of a, of the way Jewish intellectuals and artists are scapegoated and targeted that has a historical precedent and that if we ignore it, we're, you know, we're creating a hazard. Like, it, it may not be the driving force, but if we don't acknowledge it, it's—that's telling. It's telling when, we, when someone's attacked— like we we believe believe women but don't protect like you can say believe women but you can't say protect Jews you know you can say and again even the believe women thing doesn't include Sunni Previn you it only believe in this case it's believe a particular women woman and not believe other women um but again all of the, and it's so hard to not get caught in the weeds but the larger thing is when you have a major media organization like HBO taking a side in a case like this you have to sort of wonder what's the purpose? What is, you know, and what is the what is the result of, what is the precedent that's being set here? And we're going to dig into different examples throughout history because I don't, like, again, I, I don't feel like it's useful to us. There's there's parts where I'm going to have to share my point of view on the Woody Allen, Mia Farrow case, but we can't do it completely and the only reason I'm pointing those things out is to get to a larger dynamic of uh, addressing wrongness, the, the wrongness that we are talking about when we say the world is wrong. So um, rather than staying in Woody Allen land, I hope that that made sense. We may just just the note to you, Brian. <laughs> we may have to come back. I may want to say that better. <laughs> sure. But, you did good, though. You did good. Um, but so let's, let's table that for a second. And let's just talk sure. about what we mean when we say the world is wrong. What is the wrongness that we are addressing? And I've taken some notes about this. I can share my ideas. Um, if you're OK with that, I'll share my ideas first yeah. and then. Okay. Great. So here are some symptoms of wrongness. Double standards. I think double standards are a clear sign of wrongness. And we all have them. Uh, You know, there are, like, I have a friend who says jerky things, and I still like this friend. I have someone I don't know that I see online say the same jerky things. I want that person to die. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a double standard. It may, you know, it may be bad for my soul. And I need to do my own work to, like, expand my consciousness. But it doesn't really hurt the guy on the Internet who says the thing that makes me think a bad thought about him. Yeah. But when we seek to enforce double standards upon others, like, oh, well, if you like that thing, then you are da-da-da-da. But I can like this thing. And it doesn't mean that I am da-da-da-da. You know, like, I can like Dennis Hopper, but it doesn't mean that I support all of the – sort of noxious things in his life and in his films. But if you like Woody Allen, then you are a rapist. (laughs) That's not, that's a double standard. And it's not, it's a sign that there is some wrongness at play. Again, especially if we're like, you can't like that thing because it means you're bad. But I can live in a world of complexity where I can parse, Like, I like this about that thing, but I don't really buy into it. So that would be an example of a double standard. Um, Another example of wrongness to me would be, and it's similar, is with us or against us proclamations. Going back to, to Woody, it's like, believe Dylan. Okay, well, I do believe Dylan and I don't only believe Dylan. And I don't believe Dylan about everything. Like if Dylan said that Climate change wasn't real. I wouldn't believe her. You know, like, (laughs) so what it, like, there's this, it's a, it's a putting out a, a, a challenging, like, if you're not, if you don't agree with me on this, then dot, 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 that would be a sign, again, of wrongness. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like, I personally can be with and against a lot of things simultaneously. And I think most of us can and that's, again, that brings us back to the double standard. My life is complex. Yours is either or. So uh, so that would be another example. Um, den- I have four here, so I'm not going to, this is not a huge long list. Uh, the third one is denial, which is, is refusing to accept information that contradicts a negative narrative about a film or a person. And we have... A perfect example in the Pharaoh versus Allen case, where we are told to believe Dylan, but to ignore the statements of Moses Pharaoh about Mia Pharaoh's abuse of her adopted children, including three who are dead from causes that are suspicious and consistent with patterns of abuse. I've included Moses Pharaoh's open letter in the show notes. Unlike his siblings, Ronan and Dylan, Moses is not seeking to profit off of his story or build a career in the media. He's a child psychologist with a private practice devoted to working with adopted children who have experienced trauma. So while his white siblings have used their purported trauma to build themselves up and silence others, Moses has devoted himself to the work of healing people who have suffered as he has. And yet, most people don't know Moses' story. It's not amplified by HBO or Amazon or Vanity Fair or the many other massive media organizations that insist we must believe victims. It certainly wasn't included in HBO's biased nonumentary, which continued to represent Moses as a child who condemned Woody Allen, even though he now claims that statement was coerced by his adopted mother. And when I bring this up to people who are insistent on believing Dylan, they treat it as if A, Moses is somehow more biased than his prophet-seeking siblings, or B, that his claims of Mia's abuse have nothing to do with Dylan's accusations, even though he was in the house on the day the abuse is supposed to have taken place and was specifically told by his adopted mother to keep an eye on Woody that day, something he claims he did. I can't think of a better example of the denial of facts and context than is represented by the exclusion of Moses Pharaoh from the mainstream narrative of Woody and Mia. And finally, in my list of uh, symptoms of wrongness, would be fear. So one of our dictums on the show is there are no guilty pleasures that, or movies that are so bad that they're good. If you like them, they're good. You don't have to be afraid to say you like Mad Dog yep. Time. Come on people, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay to like Mordecai. It's o- it's even okay to like the films of Vincent Gallo. Um so uh and and I think that I think we're comfortable with that when it comes to just films that people don't like. But when it starts to get into the realm of—and maybe this goes to what you were experiencing—a realm of, like, if I am supportive of this person who's being attacked based upon double standards, with us, against us, uh, proclamations, and denial about the facts and context of their situation, will I be the target? Will I be the next target? And that's just, like—that's pure— McCarthyism, you know, if I stand up for a communist, will they say that I'm a communist, basically? It, and, or, you know, we can go to more in our lifetimes. Like, if I support, you know, this isn't an issue, this isn't as much of an issue for us because we grew up in Olympia, which is a pretty queer-friendly town, but if I have a friend who's gay or if I stand up and support... Uh, rights for gay people. Will people think that I'm gay? And what will that mean? Again, fear based upon prejudice, based upon denial of facts and with us against us procl- proclamations and double standards. And so this mostly, we. I mean, I think we address this all the time when we're talking about films. It's just when it starts to get a little bit, There are there are third rail parts of this that are... Harder to get into. And for me, Woody Allen is one of those third rails that I just can't, I can't accept avoiding it. And I also know that as my friend, that makes you uncomfortable for where we (laughs) might, what the position it might put us in. And so you know, that's what we're up against. Yep. That what that's what we're trying to decode here. So thank you for letting me explain <laughs> all of that. And now I'm going to shut up and hear what you have so, to say. So,
1: um, do you think you would not feel as passionate about Woody Allen if you weren't Jewish and you didn't like his movies? Mm,
0: yeah. Well, I'm passionate about Vincent Gallo and he hates yeah. me. Um, so <laughs> well, I guess that's an interesting thing. Like, So
1: like, what like what do you do like what if was been your experience of if you have this sort of like wait a minute, but then you've done the digging and then you realize that everybody was right and you're like wait, Mel Gibson is saying things that I do not like and I do not like him, like 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 do you then not watch his movies or can you could you watch a Mel Gibson movie now and not think about the things that he's been accused of
0: or has actually done? So these are two different things. There's personally, I have my own give-and-take relationship with an artist? And then do I think that Mel Gibson should be um, destroyed? (laughs) First of all, no one's trying to destroy him. And we could look at him as a classic double (laughs) standard of why is is he beloved when he's done some really terrible things and said some really terrible things. And I don't know, Woody Allen would be an example of someone who— Whose record is a lot cleaner than than uh, than Mel Gibson's, and I would say, and whose films are a lot better. But personally, it's difficult because I still love. I I I'll give you my answer to your initial question. I find it a lot easier to watch movies that Mel Gibson acts in than movies that Mel Gibson directs. Yeah. Um. I have not watched Apocalypto or The Passion of the Christ. So I guess in our, you know, in the, the sort of strictest sense, I am wrong about those films because I haven't watched them. Yeah. Um, I also, since I haven't watched them, I don't have an opinion about them. So I don't go around yeah. telling people that those films are terrible. Like, I wouldn't. That's, <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's not an intelligent point of view, and I don't support it. But yeah. I'll watch Payback over and I watch Tequila Sunrise. We'll do an episode about Tequila Sunrise. I think Mel Gibson's an incredibly compelling actor, and like a lot of people in the film business, he's a he's a, he's he's not a good person. But I also <laughs> f- feel like like I would say that's true of so many people in in the film business who are seen as good people, and I don't feel like it's the it's important for artists to be good people to make good art. And mm-hmm. if I was on a set with Mel Gibson and he was doing sh- fucked up shit, I would get fired from that set. And my my record is clear on that. I am willing to get fired or to piss off powerful people to tell them the truth. Yep. Uh, I think that's what we can do. We can speak directly to people like, yeah. and take the consequences. <laughs> but I do not – like I am able – I don't know how how anyone can claim that they can't watch films by terrible people when, I don't know, like I love the films of John Huston, but I know some terrible things about him. And you love a lot of things, not you, but you, the film audience, love a lot of films by John Huston, and maybe you don't know the terrible things about him, and that's because there's double standards that apply to certain types of people and not to certain other types of people and yeah. the film industry is just is sloppy in the way it in its abuses of power and privilege and that's the generality of the film business and that yeah. doesn't mean that it does it it justifies individual bad behavior but the ones who are justifying the individual individual bad behavior are a lot of the, times the same people who turn around and act judgy about someone else and it's not about caring about protecting people it's about protecting yourself by focusing the negative attention elsewhere and yeah. you know people who are I respect people who are self-critical that's again most of Woody Allen's movies are self-critical which makes him an easy target for bullies um Whereas Mel Gibson's films are self-aggrandizing, which makes them, I don't know. Again, I don't want to make him uh, the example <laughs> because uh, because I don't want to tear him down. Most films are self-aggrandizing for the people yeah. who make them. And it is the rare artists who's willing to put the negative stuff about themselves on film. Mm-hmm. And those people I support as artists. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And 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 let me say one more thing, and that includes Mel Gibson. I do respect that he's willing to put his ugliest points of view out there. And I don't have to like him. I don't have to support him. But as an artist, I think that's way more admirable than, I don't know, making—even though it's fun, I just watched this, like, uh, A Night with the Schmucks, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd film. Like, whoever made that— Dinner with Schmucks. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. That film is fine, but I don't have no respect for... I don't have nearly the respect for the people who made that as I do for Mel Gibson as a filmmaker. I might rather hang out with all of them and I will never see some of, his, some of Mel Gibson's films, but I do respect that he's not just making himself look good with every movie. So, um,
1: One conversation that was always at the video store when I worked there and it was prevalent always no matter what came up in life was separating art and the artists, And it was pretty much split down the middle. Like, half the people were like, yes, you can do that. And the other half were like, no, you can't. And I guess, have you ever had a problem with that? Like, especially someone like you who's worked in the business and knows people, so you know more about whether someone's a jerk or not or whatever, like, have you... Been like, oh, I don't want to see that movie. Like, you don't have to say names, but like, I don't want to see that movie because that guy's a jerk. <laughs> and I know personally, yeah. And like, like, is that hard for you? Like, just because you know them, you know more intimately than someone who doesn't work in movies.
0: Um, it really depends on how good they are. Like, <laughs> as an artist, like there are artists, there are people who have been jerks to me, who go on to do great work. And I am a fan of their work. And there are people who have been jerks to me, and they're just bad. They're idiots, and they make bad work. And I'm not going like. And people may like, oh, I love so and so, but I the combination. Like, and maybe if I didn't know what an asshole they were to me personally, because it's just I only know my own experience. But if I didn't know what, what an asshole they were, I might just be like, oh, well, that's a fine film, whatever. But because <laughs> I have a negative opinion, if the film isn't good, then, yeah, then I'm happy to just be like, well, fuck that. I'm not into, like, that person sucks. <laughs> they don't, if, and I, I do, I have a, I, I think if you're doing great work, you get a little leeway in terms of that it's hard to do great work. And sometimes you don't have the patience or attention to give this one person the exact attention they need because you are working on trying to make something. Um, so anyway, so does, I don't. I just don't think separating the art from the artist. I think that's a, a false conversation. Nobody does that. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you like a person, you might like their art more. And, yeah. but I think the thing is. And we should accept that we, unless you know the person, you can't. You don't know the artist enough to separate them from the art. You know yeah. their image, and their image yeah. is attached to their art. So, I mean, yeah, I do believe that you can say this person, it like whatever. Like all the heads of all the old studios were terrible people to our standards today they greenlit the greatest motion pictures that exist even if nothing bad happened on those sets particularly should we separate casablanca from the studio head who greenlit it you know I, how far are you going to take it and i think this is yeah. something you've talked about a lot this isn't <laughs> this is film is not like a singer songwriter like no, if it's you're collaborative yeah so if you're going to cancel a film because Kevin Spacey is in it, that's kind of weird. He didn't make, he didn't direct the film. He didn't write the film. He doesn't play every role in the film. I get how if you are skeezed out by Kevin Spacey, it might be hard to watch. But I would say that if you're only skeezed out by Kevin Spacey now, then you weren't paying attention to his whole career, which was, he's, he plays skeezy guys. It should work. He's the perfect guy to play skeezy guys. Um, and that, it's not, it's maybe you have a hard time watching him in a movie where you're supposed to see him as an angelic figure. Okay, so don't watch those, but go watch LA Confidential because that skeeviness is what makes that character work. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, the separating the art from the artist conversation. I feel like is is a is just a logical fallacy. Nobody does it.
1: Yeah. I remember a great Siskel and Ebert, and it was when uh all the Hugh Grant stuff came out, like in the 90s with him with the Prostitute, and uh and it was when his movie Nine Months, I think it was called, came out at at that time. And it was supposed to be like, look at this charming romantic Hugh Grant. And I remember Gene Siskel being like I can't watch this. It's hard for me to enjoy this comedy. I can't think about like what a kind of weirdo and creep this guy is. Like it just kept me. I can't give it a thumbs up. I can't. There's. I. I can't get into it. And then Roger Ebert's response was, "Well, when you watch Casablanca, do you get depressed knowing that everybody in it is dead?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Gene Siskel had to pause and go, "Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> I guess that's it." Is Roger Ebert was able to to not. And then and I feel like I don't think anyone's wrong even either way. Like I understand everyone goes to things with their own life experience and in per, like personal whatever. So if you're uncomfortable watching a movie because of whatever thing in your life, I think you have the right to do that or boycott it or whatever. I'm I'm not against that. Um But I think that what we try to do on the show is like we will we don't only pick those kind of movies. But like I think like with everything that we're picking like kind of the wrongness at least for me is like people who are just so quick to throw a movie away because of whatever reason and not and and be really mean about it maybe even like with the Adam Sandler stuff just like that guy's an idiot that movie's crap that movie's for idiots fucking hate that movie and i hate you for liking that movie like you're an idiot and i don't care for that like you have to at least look at it and think just kind of look try to try to think of it objectively if you could like and just see if it's if like or or even if you hate it try to figure out why you hate it as opposed to just throwing it away
0: yeah yeah why you hate it and accept that it's possible that the reason you might hate someone is because of a prejudice you have we all have them and we can choose to confront them or not but if you just hate someone or are inclined to believe the worst things about some people and not about others you might want to interrogate for yourself why
1: does that make sense
0: yeah like, yeah and i think that gets to the to the next point that i want to get into because when people say separate the art from the artist i would say would maybe you mean separate the art from the gossip because you don't know the artist and what you know is what you've heard from someone who's saying something, which is basically gossip, unless it's, I guess, been proved in a court of law or there's some scientific validity to the argument. You know, like, so this is why I want to talk about uh, Sinead O'Connor, because I feel like she her case is one that gets at a lot of this, and it's far enough in the, in the background or in the distance in the past that we can we can bring some context to the case of Sinead O'Connor. So for those of people okay. those people who are not familiar with it, Sinead O'Connor was on an incredible trajectory to stardom in the late eighties, early nineties. She basically got I believe she was discovered by U2, by Bono or U2 in Ireland. Actually, I should say she was introduced to us in America by Bono and you too. I hate when people say "discovered." I mean, it's like discovering America. It was there, I guess. You, there was someone else knew that Sinead O'Connor existed before Bono and you two did, but I didn't know who she was until I saw her in a video with Bono. Uh, anyway, she put out two records, had just had a huge hit with the Prince song "Nothing Compares to You" yep. on her second Great album, song. and. I actually had the pleasure to see her once, and it, she is one of the most soulful singers I've ever seen. I she just I saw her at the Gorge um, as part of the she was on the Lilith tour, and she I, she did something I've just never seen anyone do before, which she literally made for me this was my explanation i'm say literally because it didn't happen maybe literally for everyone there but this huge venue when she sang it just shrank and i felt like like it felt like a coffee house i don't even know how she, i don't know what she did but it was one of the most uh, mystical spiritual experiences i've had seeing a person perform music so that's the con. That's where she was, and then she went on Saturday Night Live, and she performed uh, Bob Marley's song "War," and she, at the end, I forget what she was going to do. She was going to tear some picture, or she was going to make some statement, but she ended up tearing up a picture of the Pope. And Pope John Paul II. Yes, yeah, Pope John Paul II. Thank you. And. When asked about it, she tried to talk about the abuse that was going on in the Catholic Church, but that all got buried under SNL making it about her being anti-Catholic and rude to the show and rude to the Pope. And then a week later, she was at a Bob Dylan tribute concert and the Bob Dylan fans booed her, which I think is one of the most shameful things uh, I it's still, it's still. You
1: just, think the Bob Dylan fans would be a little more sympathetic? Yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> but maybe they were '90s Bob Dylan fans, so whatever. maybe it was uh, whatever. All
2: right, I gotta
4: tell you, I'm real proud to introduce this next artist whose names become synonymous with courage and integrity. Ladies and gentlemen, Sinead O'Connor.
5: Turn this up until the philosophy which holds I've got to say war until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race I say war and until the ignoble and unhappy regime which holds all of us through child abuse yeah child abuse yeah subhuman has been toppled, utterly destroyed. Everywhere is war.
0: And then, and then it killed her career. And she, and she's recently in the last few years, she's come out and look. You can see the ravages of what it did to her. That whole pro, that whole thing. And she probably had her own issues going into it, but it did, that didn't help. I mean, I don't want to say it didn't help. It hurt. It, it can't help but have hurt. And in retrospect, she was right. She was raising the alarm about abuse, like abuses in the Catholic Church that were being silenced. And what SNL and the Bob Dylan fans did was make it harder for anyone else to report on these abuses. It was... SNL hasn't had to be held to account about this, um, I don't know how many of those Bob Dylan fans or the artists who were on stage have apologized for participating in that or for not calling it out for what it was at the time. I tell you, if I was on stage, I would have. I would have been happy to piss off all those rock stars to put my arm around <laughs> Sinead O'Connor with Chris Christofferson. We should give credit to him. He Chris Christofferson was had the, you know, had the integrity and the morality to just know that that whatever she might have said or done a crowd a a stadium full of Bob Dylan fans booing an artist is shameful Um,
1: yeah and and SNL continued to make fun of her after yeah like skits where they would make fun of her being opinionated Uh, I think I don't know if it was a week later when Joe Pesci hosted a week later he tore in half a picture of Sinead O'Connor after his monologue and said he wanted to punch
0: her
5: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Pesci!
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here hosting Saturday Night Live. It's great for a couple of reasons. First, I have a new movie, The Public Eye, which opens next Friday. Second, it's Columbus Day. And that's important to me because I'm Italian.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: But uh, before we start the show, there's a little matter I want to clear up. There was an incident on the show last week. Sinead O'Connor tore up a picture of the Pope. And I thought that was wrong. So I asked somebody to paste it back together. Shall we have that picture? (laughs) There. I think that's a lot better, thank you. Okay, case closed. I mean, why should I let it bother me, right? It wasn't my show, it was Tim Robbins' show. But I'll tell you one thing, she was very lucky it wasn't my show. Cause if it was my show, I would've gave her such a smack. I would've grabbed her by her, her eyebrows. I would have, what am I doing? I'm making myself crazy for what? I mean, she's just a kid, you know, why should I care? Anyway, I mean, the Pope's probably forgiven her already. I mean, he forgave that guy that shot him, right? You know what? I saw this whole thing coming. I mean, stuff like this is bound to happen if he keeps forgiving people. I tell you, somebody takes a shot at me, I don't forgive him so easy. But hey, I'm not like the Pope, I'm Italian. Well, you notice she didn't tear up any pictures of any Italian popes. Yeah, right. I mean, like, that would never happen. Okay, I'm done. I'm not talking about it anymore. We have a great show. It's Columbus Day. Spin doctors are here. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Now, of course, a lot of that didn't age very well, particularly the plug for the public citizen. But also, here he is. Defending the genocidal maniac like Columbus, and he said he wanted <laughs> to hit her. Like, okay, you sell it, clap for hitting a woman, yeah, because we, you know, because we we don't want to be rude to the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> so that's the that's my recap. Obvious, like I, if I, I if I need to make the point, I would say that I think we should consider this when we consider the case of Woody Allen, the case of anyone who is the target of a major media campaign to make them a pariah or a scapegoat or just an untouchable person without, you know, based upon going back to that wrongness, double standards, with us or against us proclamations, denial and fear. You could put all of those onto the Sinead O'Connor thing. Like, it's—you can be—you can say I I want to punch Sinead O'Connor in the face— but you can't tear up a picture of the pope that's a double standards with us against us uh, with us against us pro proclamations you what she did if you support what she did then you are then you hate catholics <laughs> that denial well maybe sh- there is there is abuse we don't want to talk about it what she did was rude and fear if you speak up like chenado did chenado Sinead, <laughs> <laughs> the chenado is coming the uh <laughs> bat the hatches uh if you, if you speak up for Sinead, then you also hate Catholics and you might be treated like her. Um, so with all of that, what's your take on this, on Sinead? (laughs) Well, I was really
1: young when that all happened, but I was aware of it. I think I was maybe 11. It was like 91. Is that right? 92. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, but I just like, I kind of remembered, I mean, I, and I was Catholic. I was raised Catholic. Um, but I remember just kind of being like, kind of maybe confused by it, just being like, she tore up a picture of the Pope and everyone's really upset about it. I don't really understand why. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why? And I didn't hear about what the reason, like I didn't know about that till I was older. I just, all I heard was she ripped up a picture of the Pope and you don't do do that. You can't do that. Because for whatever reason, there's certain people of power that you just can never criticize or say anything bad about <laughs> And and I just remember thinking it was just kind of weird, and this I mean, and then like, but then what they did was they kind of made the when the jokes were made about her, whether it was a late night show or whatever, it, they kind of went from that and more about like, let's make fun of how she's bald, let's make fun of how she's just opinionated in general, let's make fun of like how Irish she is, you know how alternative she dresses. It's so- uh,
0: you're you're talking about you're talking about uh, Janine Garofalo on. The Ben Stiller show that we featured
2: just <laughs> so a couple it, weeks ago.
1: So it, and, and I don't think even when it gets to that level, I don't think like Janine Garofalo has ill will towards Sinead O'Connor, but that just be kind of what it turns into. It's not a conversation about the problem or the thing she was trying to draw attention to. Instead, it becomes this other thing, you know, which I'm sure was very frustrating for Sinead O'Connor, among many other reasons. And I think that's it. That's the kind of a thing that happens a lot in pop culture. Um, like that was like SNL's kind of guilty of this a lot. Like, and I love that show, but like I watched an episode where John Malkovich hosted and they were making fun of the Menendez brothers and like how silly they were and what the clothes they wore and how they cried a bunch. And then we found out later that they were horribly abused and it was a horrible thi- thing or like or kind of like that revisit of relooking at Lorena Bobbitt with that, um, uh, that documentary that came out about like how people kind of, but she became a joke, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it was, and it wasn't a joke. It was something really bad. And, but at the time, it just became this like funny thing uh, for people like, oh, he's pain. It's got cut off. haha. And it became less about what it was about. And I think like comedy shows tend to do that a lot. I don't know if they do it anymore. I haven't watched SNL in a while. Uh, maybe it's got a little safer. But I think I don't know if it's them and their way of trying to be edgy or trying to be on top of the current thing. But I think it in a way could also be very dangerous because like, if you're making constant jokes about things and not in a thoughtful way, like, like what's great about like the daily show or especially when John, like, like, like when John Stewart started it and on, through now, like the way they make fun of things and talk about things feels a little more like there's like, there's an intelligence to it and it's not just like, we're just going to point and laugh at something uh, because we don't understand it or cause it's like, or we're trying to distract <laughs> Uh, and I think it's, I think, yeah. And I just remember that. And like, If you had asked me 20 years ago, I would have been like, oh, she was that opinionated ball lady ripped up a picture of the Pope and everyone hated her for whatever reason. But now that I know more, and we all know more, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's sad that her career and, you know, got kind of derailed because of that.
0: And And, I th- and but I think what's important here is that Yes, I feel sorry for Sinead, but that is not the worst thing that the campaign against Sinead did. What it did was silence people who who wanted to report about the abuses that were going on by the Catholic Church, some by people within the Catholic Church and were being covered up by the Catholic Church. Yeah. And... Just who knows how many more victims were victimized and how many and silenced because of that campaign. And so, it's not Lorne Michaels and SNL owe an apology to Sinead O'Connor, which they do. They should just have her on the show and do a whole show where they let her be the center of it. They won't do that, but. The apology should be to all the victims of abuse that SNL helped to silence. And everyone who was on that stage, on that Bob Dylan stage, who didn't stand up for Sinead O'Connor also. They don't owe an apology to Sinead O'Connor. They owe owe an apology to all of the the victims of abuse that happened from that day on until when it finally came out decades later. Um, So that's— and again, I'm not, I don't necessarily need to relitigate the past, but I would say that if you are participating today in a campaign against a celebrity based upon information put out by major media corporations that are not taking into account the full context of what's going on, then you, then you or I are like those people at the Bob Dylan show booing Sinead O'Connor. And it's not just booing an artist. You are shouting down potentially millions of other people who might have something to say but now are frightened to. So so I don't want to stay too much on Sinead (laughs) O'Connor. I'd like to actually go even back even further and talk about Charlie Chaplin. Sure. Unless you feel like there's something we we need to—we didn't address there. No, I—no. So— Charlie Chaplin is another example. Comedian, filmmaker, complicated person. But uh, during the 40s during the during the 40s he I think even before he was definitely the target of a lot of criticism from people who saw his films as being to questioning of authority, too supportive of working people. He was accused of being a communist. He was often uh, incorrectly labeled a Jew. And was the tar- so it made him the target of a lot of anti-Semitism. <laughs> Do you think that he was labeled a Jew because of the Great Dictator, or was that before that even? I I don't want to—I'm pretty sure it was before, but I don't want to— <laughs> I think like, so. I'm ignorant because
1: I always assumed he was as well. See, i on part of the problem? Yeah, uh, I, I really thought he was. Maybe I don't know why. Maybe because he, because he stood such a, a stand against Hitler or whatever that I thought like, oh, that must mean he's, you know, a Jewish man in Hollywood. You know, I so I'm to, totally guilty of. He that was in prejudice. love with
0: Paulette Goddard, who was Jewish, um, but no, he's he was just a man of conscience, and again complicated, conflicted. We, you know, if we get into his personal life, we can definitely make judgments about it. Um, well, I won't be vague about it. He liked, you know, he liked young women. He was, he, it seems like he was, like there was some area of his life where he hadn't, he hadn't fully developed. Like, a, again, like a lot of artists. And if, If what he was doing was non-consensual, or it's none of this is to justify what he, his sexual proclivities, or to even or to condemn them because I don't know, and we don't know, and it's really confusing. And again, we're just talking about gossip. But he was the target of a massive campaign to portray him as a disloyal communist Jew and eventually he was exiled he was you know he left the country and they wouldn't let him back in because he they, he was portrayed as a traitor and this campaign laid the groundwork for what would become the red scares and the anti-communist witch hunts led by joseph mccarthy and huac and other many other uh, politicians and media people who jumped on the bandwagon of that narrative. And in retrospect, just like Sinead O'Connor, history has proven that Charlie Chaplin was the victim of a massive campaign that, sure, it hurt him, but he lived fine in Europe. He he certainly had it better than Sinead O'Connor did. But the campaign against him ended up being forwarding something that targeted and it hurt many, many other people and kept um, and hurt American film. Like when we attack one of the great filmmakers of any generation, it's, you know, it sets film back. And again, we're a film podcast and we, I, I think we're opposed to, to that. <laughs> um, and, so I, I feel like those two cases—and I'm going to stop in a second and let you uh, talk about Charlie Chaplin and what you, your thoughts are—but I think those two cases, Sinead O'Connor and Charlie Chaplin, should be—we should keep them present in our minds when we feel the need to react to an in-the-moment media narrative to wonder, first of all, is it true— What's the source that's telling me this? And what is the agenda that it is pushing beyond just talking about this one individual person? Because when famous people are the subjects of these kind of uh, attacks, it's rarely just meant to attack that person. There's another—it's It it it's to put forward an agenda or to put forward guardrails of debate that are allowed and not allowed. So— Charlie Chap they can go after Charlie Chaplin because some woman because a woman filed a uh, you know said some said a negative thing about him, but since we know that there were a lot of men doing a lot of terrible things to women in that time and none of them were the target of this kind of uh, most of them were not the target of this kind of campaign even uh, what's his name swashbuckler Uh, Errol Flynn. The treatment of Errol Flynn and Charlie Chaplin is very different, even though the crimes that they were accused of were similar. But the difference is that Charlie Chaplin was a was a an artist whose work was a threat to power, whereas Errol Flynn was a Nazi sympathizer, and uh, you know he's more of a right winger. And so his so he was only on trial for his sexual the sexual charges against him, whereas Charlie Chaplin was on trial for his beliefs and the the sexual crimes was a pretext to go after him for his supposed communism and disloyalty to the United States. And so we just need to be aware of why a particular person is being targeted. Forget about being a fan of that person or hating that person, but what is the dynamic at play and How how could we possibly look back at this in 20 years and be like, wow, it would have been nice to hear more from Sinead O'Connor. It would have been nice if Charlie Chaplin had been able to make movies in America in the 50s and 60s. That would have been pretty cool. Um, Okay, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, Yeah, Charlie Chaplin. I took a class, because I
1: studied slapstick in college for a year and went through all the great slapstick artists. And Charlie Chaplin had to read a big book about him. And I didn't know about all his sort of uncomfortable uh, relationship with the younger women that he married. He married uh, women underage, or I don't know what it was considered at the time. But uh, that definitely, you know, that sets off red flags in my head that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, that's definitely not... My OCD does not like <laughs> that kind of subject matter. It's one of the subjects that makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, but uh, but it is But it is, yeah, like just kind of where... The trial wasn't about that and he wasn't kicked out because of that, but it was about like his, the communist thing, which is weird. (laughs) Like, I think I would be less upset if it was about the actual, like maybe victims and things that that he dealt with. But the fact that it was more about kind of how he looked at the world and made an example of because of that, that's fucked up. I don't like that. (laughs) And I had the and I had the advantage of taking a whole class about him, and I think a lot of people with all these. I guess here's a good question: <clears throat> People are busy. People have shit to do. We don't have time to dig into all the articles from the past or information to find out the truth of these people. So, what do you like? What, I, what do you suggest for someone who is sort of like has the gut reaction of like this person makes me uncomfortable? I don't like what this person's being accused of. Like that seems like that's a bad person, but I'm busy. I have a job. I have a family. I'm not going to spend hours on the internet or maybe everyone does now. Maybe with the phones, they they do have time, but like, I don't expect everybody to do the homework that you do. You know, you seem to have more time. (laughs) (laughs) I, and I think that's a lot of my thing is why I just like, I just sort of like, I don't have time to learn about this. I don't know. I'm not going to pass any judgment. But I'm just – I'm not even going to engage because I just don't have time to do the homework and the hard work to, to go to the quote-unquote truth or just more information or whatever.
0: Well, I would just say that if you don't have the time to do the research, then you should probably – or if you don't have time – like, you shouldn't be sharing your opinions in a way. like <laughs> Yeah. Again, 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 again it, my your opinion could be like, I don't like <laughs> – I don't like, whatever, I'm trying to think of a, I don't like foreign films. Okay, why don't you like foreign films? I just don't like, I don't like subtitles. Okay, cool. Are you online all the time saying how foreign films suck and how, like, having an opinions about Fellini and uh, Fassbender? No, I don't, I don't have any opinions about him. Okay, well, cool, great, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but, if you're, but if you need to go on and be like, everyone who watches foreign films is a fucking pretentious piece of shit. They all suck. America, yeah. America, America. I feel like that's basically the level that a lot of the criticism, like that the criticism that I'm, the, the wrongness that I'm taking aim at, that's what it looks like, is yeah. someone who's like, I think we're going to get back to Woody Allen now because I feel like that's where the Woody Allen thing is. It's like, I don't, he's a creep. I don't like him. I never liked him. He wasn't funny. All of his films are about old men going after young women. None of these things are true. That's just not, that's just not. I mean, the thing, okay, you always didn't like him. Okay. Well, that says about, I wonder why you always didn't like him. It could be because you had the sense that he was somehow a sexual deviant, or it might be because you just don't like Jews, or maybe you don't like intellectuals, or maybe you don't have a sense of humor, or maybe uh, who knows what your reasons for always not liking him are, but if you always didn't like someone, I don't really care about what your opinion is <laughs> about about them. Like, based upon what? I always didn't like whatever. Like, I love Mel Gibson, and I, I love, you know, and I have a hard time with him now, but I'm, you know, the only time I'm ever gonna say anything negative about Mel Gibson is in pointing out the double standard about the way he is forgiven and the way others aren't. And he's not the only one. I could just give you I could go like
1: Yeah, a list. Yeah. There
0: are stories, like I'm sitting on stories about beloved people that I have been told horrible things about from people who it's not my place to tell their stories. And it just makes it very hard for me to uh accept the double standards that fall heavily on some people and not on others. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm not the like I know so little, like I'm not in on the inside at all. So the fact that there are so many people who are on the inside who know even better how much, how deeply the wrongness goes, um really, really sucks. So I guess in answer to your question, it's fine not to, t- to learn a language, but then don't have an opinion about that language. You know, like if you don't speak French, don't tell me that French is a stupid language. Learn it and then tell me why it's a stupid language I'm interested in, what you have to say. So I don't blame people for not knowing stuff. I blame people for not knowing stuff and then pretending like their opinion should matter about it. Does that make yeah. sense?
1: That, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Does does that does that seem like a I, I don't want to be an elitist. Does that seem like an elitist opinion or? No, I think, and I think maybe that's the problem with social media,
1: is that everybody has a quick opinion, a knee-jerk reaction. Without even though you're on the computer and you can literally look up anything. You're gonna have a knee-jerk reaction to things that you see. <laughs> And then get into fights about it where both sides aren't doing the homework. <laughs> and, then you're just, and it just gets messy, uh, you know, and I hate that. <laughs> and I think that's even with people who they vote for. I think they vote for people maybe without doing the research, but then they hate the other person for voting for the other person, even though they didn't research in that person either. And then you get two people fighting over something that they don't really know anything about. Yep. But they heard a thing or they did a thing and then it gets really messy. And, every, and nobody's happy. And nothing is figured out. <laughs> and that's, I think, why I just don't engage um, in the world of the internet. Because <laughs> I don't. And, like, I have opinions on things. I do. But I don't want to express it in that way. I'd rather have it in a conversation in person. Or, I guess, in public on a podcast. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, but yeah a little you're joking a little but (laughs) I, i wasn't looking forward to this episode let me tell you that like this is not how i normally this is not the things i talk about ever right uh definitely not in public like in person my with my wife yeah with close friends with you over the phone but uh and i think maybe that's good then that i'm not on social media because i if i did it would be one of those people that would be very reactionary, very uneducated, nervous, like out of a sense of fear and anxiety (laughs) is how I would be talking about these things via Twitter or Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I've been off since 2016 because I was like, I'm done with you, this version of whatever this world is. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, Instagram is fine, but like in general, I just feel like it's not, doesn't feel like reality and everybody's so quick to judge one another it definitely it definitely feels like people log on looking for the fight even if it's in a positive way even if it's like on the level of like like i saw one and this is was another reason why i quit because i thought it was just stupid and i won't say names but someone just posted a thing being like radiohead is stupid if you like that band you're a fucking moron this is the worst band ever fuck radiohead and then of course someone was like, Oh, I got radiohead i like this album and then the guy was like nope the band's crap you're an idiot (laughs) and then it was just this back and forth and then people on both sides had to chime in and be like they're pretentious no they're fine fuck this guy and fuck that and then at the end of this diarrhea nobody was happy (laughs) nothing smart was said it was just like yep okay and then everyone who likes radiohead was sad and was just like oh i guess i can't you know, say anything about it. And then the people who hated Radiohead but had something interesting to say was kind of squashed and buried under the, the garbage of social media. So I was just like, this is not how any conversation should be had <laughs> about anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, but even more so when you're talking about... um Really prejudicial charges that are backed up by those symbols, the symptoms of wrongness that I was talking about. Double standards and us and them uh, proclamations and denial and fear. Um, Because, you know, I I, I agree with you. I hate those. I hate when someone posts, okay, this band or this band, fight. I'm like... (laughs) Why would you think of art that way <laughs> why can't I like XTC and they might be Giants why would you put them <laughs> up against each other um although they might be Giants did do XTC versus Adamant so maybe <laughs> Shame they, deserve they better might better be giants it. <laughs> but I think they're I think they're mocking I do believe that no, that, they are. No, they are. that yeah. song is mocking this thing of like why why compare XTC to Adamant. They're, you know, they really, I mean, they're both, I don't know, musical artists. Of the 80s? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of new wavy, sort Content of. Content versus uh, I... form. Um, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't sing the right melody. But, so, uh, I'm getting to the point in my in my notes on this conversation where I, I kind of need to, like, go full bore towards the Woody case now. I sort of laid the groundwork that we can maybe look at the Woody Allen case in the context of Charlie Chaplin and Sinead O'Connor, which is to say that this is not about defending Woody Allen. It's not about being a fan of Woody Allen. It's not even about Woody Allen. Um, My personal feeling about Woody Allen I feel like the United States is giving Woody Allen the honor we reserve for only our greatest directors, people like Charlie Chaplin and Orson Welles, and that we turn them into outcasts and dirty jokes in their elder years, only to reappraise that judgment after their death, which... I'm confident will happen with Woody Allen. And so I don't feel sorry for Woody. Um, I feel sorry for us. That's why I think it's important to talk about this. I feel sorry for Sun Yi and for her children and for Moses Pharaoh, And again, for all of us who have to live in this world of cognitive dissonance that this case is a part of or is a great example of. But this is just my own personal belief. And I believe that because, well, because I have done a lot of research into this and spoken with people who I know personally who have done even more research into it in terms of going through legal transcripts and interviewing people who are close to the case. And there is plenty of readily available information that is part of the public record, which, to me, credibly makes Mia Pharaoh look far more likely to have been the abuser in her household. This is what both Sunyi Previn and Moses Pharaoh have to say, and for her part, Mia Pharaoh and Ronan and Dylan, they treat their siblings, Moses and Sunyi, as traitors who victimize them by telling their story. Which is consistent with the abuse Moses Pharaoh reported in his open letter, in which he said that Mia would punish the children for contradicting her, demanding total loyalty, and would force them to lie on her behalf, which certainly seems like something to take into account when considering the nature of Dylan Pharaoh's accusations in terms of being videotaped by Mia for hours before reporting all of this. It just, there's, there is a consistent narrative, which seems fairly obvious there that is being left out, especially left out of the HBO documentary, which immediately calls it into question. And with all the red flags in Mia's background, from growing up in a family with a philandering father who the family had to cover for and a brother who has been convicted of molesting underage boys, to the parallels between Sunyi's choices as a 19 year old woman and Pharaoh's own choices as a 19 year old woman to begin a relationship with a 49-year-old Frank Sinatra, as well as her role in the end of Dory Previn's marriage to Andre Previn. All of these seem more germane to her accusations against Woody Allen and Sunyi Previn, by extension, than, say, the plot of Bullets Over Broadway or Stardust Memories or Zelig or Broadway Danny Rose or Love and Death. I I hope you get my point. Most Woody Allen films do not display the very obvious red flags that are so prevalent. In the case of Mia Farrow, who we're supposed to accept as the injured party in this case, and the injured party is not, well, it may be Dylan. Miaferro thrust Dylan into that role at a very young age in a highly questionable way. And you can just see, whether it's the treatment of Sunyi or Moses or Sunyi's kids, that the priority from Miaferro's camp isn't really the well-being of her children, but the punishment of her ex for leaving her. In a similar way that Andre Previn left Dory Previn for Mia Farrow, there's a lot more smoke there than there is in Woody Allen's filmography, even though there's a big narrative to say, oh, well, all of Woody Allen's films... There was a big article that came out that said Woody Allen's films have been grooming predators and victims for decades. And that's just—that's a weird—I find that to be the most—I feel like maybe the most dangerous take to come out of, uh, out of this whole story. Because it means that—it means everyone who loved all those films, that we are all somehow complicit— in these terrible crimes that supposedly these films are guilty of. And I feel like that's, a da- that's dangerous territory. Again, from a standpoint of we are a film podcast. The wor- you know, if the world is wrong, then particularly about films based upon prejudices and double standards and media narratives, then that is worth pointing out. And anyone who looks at Mia Farrow's background, I don't, again, I don't, I have no reason to tear down Mia Farrow other than to say, well, then let's not, if we're going to look granularly at Woody Allen's films, can we look at the reports of abuse from her own adopted children, three of whom are dead, from self-inflicted or mysterious causes? Like, that seems like it should be part of the conversation. And certainly, if you were making a movie about it, you wouldn't leave it out unless Mia Farrow was or Ronan Farrow was a producer of that production. So those who raise this evidence today that any of that are shouted down by people who say believe D- Dylan, but refuse to believe Sunyi Previn, who says that she was the victim of abuse from Mia and she had to that her t- what she says is that Woody Allen saved her from an abusive household. And they're, you know, just for people who aren't aware, they've been married for 30 years, have kids who are still the victims of Mia's targeting of them. No one thinks about them when we're talking about believing victims or caring about victims. Same thing goes for Moses and his, Moses Pharaoh and his claims of abuse and his speaking up for his three dead siblings, adopted siblings. Again, huge double standard. And if you're mad at me, if you think, oh, well, oh, you're defending Woody. I'm not. And I'm not even attacking Mia Farrow. I'm just saying that if we're going to—if people who are going to have strong opinions about this case should focus on the entirety of it or wait until they have to make strong statements about who's guilty and who isn't. But like I said before, this isn't just a matter of the Farrow's, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, or really— I I I hate that I have to use this language but it is the truth that there the the Farrow family who are white are listened to and have a very strong attitude towards Woody Allen the Farrow children and Farrow family who are not white were not allowed to hear from and that is seems really dangerous but even if you took all that out about it like I said the main my main issue is when H when a major media corporation takes a side in this. And I wonder, just along the lines of SNL and Sinead O'Connor or Hedda Hopper and Charlie Chaplin, what is the larger aim? Because I just don't believe that HBO is so committed to just being on the side of Mia Farrow or Dylan Farrow or Ronan Farrow that they would put all of these resources into... Doubling down on this, unless there was some other larger cultural agenda that we're not aware of right now. But I think we could, I think that's something that's worth thinking about. All of these things are things that are worth thinking about, not yeah. a point of view that you like. Again, I'm just saying double standards, us and them pro- proclamations, denial, and fear. So, in the meantime, and I think this is the most important thing for us, is that the critical conversation about a filmmaker. Whose work was an essential part of the American cinematic dialogue for most of four decades is now being misrepresented as being toxically obsessed with underage, underage girls when this is one demonstrably untrue and two, a standard which is not applied to any number of other beloved directors who were never called out for their ogling of women or their hooking up older men with young women as a sign that their work needs to be erased from cinema. Next week we're going to be covering The Hot Spot by Dennis Hopper. That's a prime example of a this weird double standard. So um and in, I, I know I'm sort of going through my points here, but I kind of want to stop here because this is one – I don't want to put you on the spot about stuff about <laughs> Woody Allen. But I do want to talk – I think this is a point for uh, where we – this is the main point that's important. Uh, let, me, let me just back up. This is all about m- – what I'm sharing right now is in the realm of my issues, why the conversation or lack of conversation about Woody Allen hurts me personally. This is my personal – Take on why these these contradictions in it are frightening to me, but this point four, which is point uh, four of eight, by the way, so we're halfway through. Uh, this feels like the most important for you and I to get on. A, I think we are on a similar page about, um, which is that. Well, can we talk about it? Do you think that Woody Allen's films, taken as a whole, are indicative of predation on young women and unique in terms of how it portrays that. I think some of them
1: maybe like I think like a few of them feel like maybe they do, like Manhattan or whatever works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean but I think as a whole no. That's not the case. And and I like so I and like with his whole thing, I'm, I kind of, one of those people, please ignorant. Cause I just sort of like, I don't know all the truth. I don't know all the stuff you do. I haven't even seen the HBO movie. I don't like, so I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. I know that the, the stuff with Sunni was, is weird. Like, and then when that happened and I learned about, like that was when I was a kid, that seemed strange. <laughs> like that's a weird relationship. And that was enough for me to be like, that's a little weird. That's strange. Like, I don't know how I feel about this guy personally, but I did still enjoy his movies afterwards. Um, and I've, I've do that with a lot of people where I'm just sort of like, I don't know how I feel about this person. This, there's something weird here, but I like this movie. And I, and, and you know, that's just, I, I am a person who will like a movie. Like, I'll watch a Kevin Spacey movie again. I don't want to hang out with him. I don't like him, (laughs) but I think I am one of those people, whether you agree with it or not, that can, you know, not forget about the things, but just look at the movie for what it is. And I look at movies as a collaborative effort. So even if I did think that Woody Allen was totally guilty, (laughs) I still can look at a movie like Manhattan and look at the good acting in it and the cinematography and all the people that worked on it and see see how great it is as a, as a film. And, I mean, going back to John Huston, same thing. Like, like I really like a lot of his movies a lot. He's a, not a great guy. <laughs> so I think there's it's just, you know, this is just how, and I think we, we haven't heard any complaints on the show. I mean, Brown Bunny, big example. Like, and I was kind of shocked that we didn't get any complaints on that one because Vincent Gallo not a great person. Pretty much hateful towards everybody. <laughs> and maybe that's to be admired that he's like oh he doesn't like anyone, but still like it's pretty gnarly shit that he's up to or saying. But I love that movie. And I had a conversation at the theater with someone about this being like yeah, he seems like a there's something bad going on with him or something wrong, but man, what a beautiful film. And it is it is it kind of is work to kind of get there like it's hard and and i totally understand why some people can't do that because everyone's different if someone's like i can't watch a movie by a man who says such racist things i will not argue with that like you have the right i think boycotts are fine it just depends on how you do it maybe um yeah like there's certain businesses that some people believe are bad and they won't go to that business and other people are like i don't care i'll eat their food I think both are right. It just depends on how, the, and also how you reach to the other side and how you can talk about it. Yeah. Like I would have a, I will gladly talk to someone who disagrees with my stance on Brown Bunny and Vincent Gallo. I will have that conversation. But if the conversation is, fuck you, you like Vincent, then there's no conversation. You've killed the conversation. Uh yeah, so that's sort of like, I know I've kind of distracted from Woody Allen. No, no, But I no, think in no, general, I think like, I think that that's sort of like, that that's the thing. It's like, I i have my own opinions on Woody Allen. I think there's some weird stuff there, and there's some weird stuff with all with the whole thing. It's very complicated. And maybe it's not even my business. It's just because these people are famous. Is it my business to learn about all their personal stuff? I don't think it is, in my opinion. That's kind of why I never get involved in the personal business of any famous people. I'm just like, I don't, this is weird. I don't like, I feel like I don't need to, but I don't want to be hated. Cause I like stardust memories and sleeper, <laughs> which yeah. I've, I've enjoyed sleeper since I was a little kid. Like that is a movie that was big in my family. I love that movie. And I mean, I do feel like, and I am guilty of like, I am definitely when I watch, Movies by people that have been even accused of something bad and necessarily haven't done it or who knows what I am. I do feel a little weird about it. I am guilty of that. Like, but also I have a I have much weirder problems with people in their art because also I have a mental illness that attaches to negative things and likes to attach them, you know, like OCD is very much like, oh, I can't have that statue there. It reminds me of my mom and I go crazy. And so I definitely have an extra layer of like, whether I, you know, like agree or disagree with what's going on with Woody Allen. There is a moment in my head when I watch a movie being like, oh, I don't know, this makes me uncomfortable. Just uncomfortable, not by any reason, but there's just a moment of uncomfortableness. And I definitely don't like to be made more uncomfortable (laughs) by people saying that I'm a bad person for liking Sleeper. They can say that, but I want to have a conversation about it, not a Twitter battle. You know, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, 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 it totally does. And and I, and, well, I, and I think you and I are really good at it. I think like I, you and I disagree on things, disagree on people and whatever, but we can have the conversation that isn't like me being like "fuck you." Like if I was totally against everything you said about Woody Allen, I would still not be like "you're a terrible person," like "go die." I would be like, let's go talk about this. Let's like, I'm curious to know your point of view as to, why. and I think that is what I did. I think you, I think we did this very early on in the show, yeah. before we even did the first episode. I kind of had my thing of like, I really don't want to go into the personal lives of any of these people. I just want to talk about their movies. And then I said, I think I said off colored, I don't want to talk about creeps like Woody Allen. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, hold on a minute. And then you kind of told me your whole. <laughs> the whole thing you've been talking about in this episode, because clearly you've done the work that you feel comfortable doing and the background to your life as to why, and it all makes sense. I still may not agree with you, but we had a conversation that wasn't yelling, that wasn't me uh, thinking that you're an awful person. It was a very smart conversation. And that's all I got to say about that matter. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so... (laughs) so, Yes. And I just want to like, there's a couple of things I just want to like touch on because you mentioned Sun <laughs> yi in Manhattan. So I just want to like get some things clear. First of all, I, can we agree that Sun yi gets to determine whether or not she is a victim as an adult, like as the adult woman that she is now? Like, sure. if we insist that she's a victim against her will, are we on the right side of this or are we on the wrong side of this? I would say that we're on the wrong side of it. I believe that people get like she gets to tell us if she's a victim. Mia Farrow does not get to tell us if Sun Yi is a victim. And if we were to really look at Mia Farrow, we would say well Mia, you were the same age that Sun Yi was when she got together with Woody Allen when you got together with Frank Sinatra. Is that can we consider that an issue? Can we look at at her relationship with Andre Previn, who Dory Previn really felt like like wrote a song about how Mia Farrow was this young girl who pretended to be her friend so that she could steal her husband. All of these things that Mia Farrow's narrative projects onto Soon-Yi, that Soon-Yi was both a victim of Woody Allen and a villain and a betrayer against... Mia Farrow, and that is the narrative that we're supposed to believe against Yi's will. If we support women, the cognitive dissonance and the double standards are horrible. If you, if the mother of your wife was on a campaign to prove that your relationship was immoral, I think almost anyone would. And you and you've been married for decades, and you have children. Would see that that mother-in-law as as being the toxic part in this relationship. So when everyone talks about how the Sun Yi thing was gross or icky or weird, I would say it's not it, it's not as gross or icky as weird as many things in Mia Farrow's background. And unlike uh, unlike those things, Sun Yi is. Well, I don't want to say unlike those things. I would say that ultimately, if we believe women, we have to stop talking about Sun yi and Woody Allen's relationship as if it's a negative because that's just, like, that's just like people saying that a gay relationship is sick to me. It's like, oh, their relationship is sick. Are they happy? Well, then you don't get to say that they're sick. And I would say the same thing about Sunyi. yi like until she comes out like if she had anything negative to say about Woody Allen you know that the world would love it but she has stayed true to what's the truth for her i believe her truth far more than the truths of other people who are much whose truth is whose personal truth is celebrated and elevated over hers especially about her so that's my take on sunyi and that's when i'm going to like i know i'm in the right on that one in the sense that if we believe women, then we have to believe Sunyi, Yi, and those who say that, who want to make judgments about a relationship are the people who do not believe women. I'm not saying that's you. I'm saying that that's in general, and I think it's an important thing for people who believe women to believe Sunyi Previn about her experience and her life over that of her adopted mother who has many legitimate claims of abuse against her, including from Sun yi who says that, her, that Mia hit her with a telephone. That seems pretty bad. And as far as Manhattan, all I would say is that it's a movie that is— sure, you can have issues with it, but to use it as an example of pathology— As opposed to an example of an artist exploring a dynamic which is certainly not unique to this film or endemic to all of Woody Allen's films, which is the absurdity of middle-aged men chasing after significantly younger women. Much like Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra's relationship and exploring it in a way which is critical and opens himself up to criticism And to me, that makes him a brave artist. And if all of his films were ogly of young women, like Dennis Hopper's films or your, I'm no offense to him, but your beloved Blake Edwards, uh, (laughs) then, you know, then maybe there'd be something there. But I feel like, again, there's a a huge double standard and a huge lack of um, just general... Honesty in criticism when we portray Manhattan as the example of all of Woody's work or of Sunyi as a victim when she herself tells us over and over again that she's not. And if she's a victim of anyone, it's Mia Farrow. And of the campaign, the people who, are, who have joined in that, came, that campaign and harass her and her children regularly online. So... Moving on beyond that, I just, th- I'm glad. I, first of all, thank you for letting me say that and share that on this podcast, because it hurts me on a daily basis, <laughs> I really. So thank you. Sure. And a part of why it, it hurts me is that, like I said this before, when a very publicly Jewish artist is a target of double standards like these, we need to be able to address anti-Semitism as part of it, because it's going to be a part of it especially if we don't talk about how it's a part of it. And the same same thing when accepting popular narratives means also believing only white victims and silencing the Asian ones. We need to be able to address the racism inherent in doing so. And same thing, the sexism inherent in telling Sun Yi she's a victim when she tells us she's not. That this campaign, I think, masks a larger agenda. Like, the thing I always think about is, like... it. I feel like Woody Allen is being punished as much for being a guy who just never attended all of these Hollywood parties or bought into a lot of the <laughs> Hollywood stuff. And people who were just pissed off from him snubbing, like from their st- attitude, him snubbing them and staying home and writing films while they were out at parties chasing underage women. <laughs> so it's just, oh, it's, it, there's a, like a beating up on the nerd factor also that hurts. And, hmm. and, and the reason why I needed to do this is that holding all of this in feels just incredibly unsafe for me. Again, because yeah. of my background. And, yeah. and just as I know that talking about it feels really unsafe for you. But I think it's really important for us, for the world is wrong and people who... Appreciate the world is wrong to be on the right side of history when it comes to cases like Charlie Chaplin and Sinead O'Connor and the Scottsboro Boys and Woody Allen. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store.
2: Hey,
4: this is an ad. Don't fast forward, we'll be over in a second. Are you obsessed with a sports team, a band, or even collecting chia pets? Then listen to my new podcast, Rep Your Squad, on Paperhouse Network, where I dive into what drives people crazy. So if you're a 40 year old man with a
0: stand collection, or a middle-aged woman who loves the Spice Girls. That's cool. We don't judge here on Rep Your Squad with me, Chris Scopo. See? It's over. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. And now, back to the show.
2: Eight notes, scale an octave. Master the scale.
0: And... So my hope is that talking about this, getting it out of my head and getting it into the conversation <laughs> makes things safer as opposed to <sighs> yeah. not. But I know for you it doesn't. So this is what we have to do is figure out <laughs> now... How we can incorporate both of us without, like, obviously, I've just, like, you've given me a space to, like, share all this stuff <laughs> that I know feels really a, a dangerous for you. And I want it to be really clear to anyone listening. If you go after Brian about this, I'm going to, like, I'm going to put myself <laughs> right in the front of that. Brian, like, that. that is, I will... Absolutely defend this guy because he's having the courage to be in this conversation about difficult stuff <clears throat> with me because it's important to me. And that's a sign of compassion, intelligence and courage. And it doesn't mean he agrees with me. And if you treat him like he does just because he's here listening to me, then you're the world that's wrong. So anyway, I will defend you to the I don't want to <laughs> say to the death because I don't want us to to die, but I will d- defend you to the shame. Thank
1: you. And I I feel like I didn't want to do this episode. I had anxiety all week about it. I haven't wanted to talk about these things since we started the show, but I am a very strong believer in freedom of speech. And I think that you have the right on your show to say how you feel. And I may not be comfortable through any of it, but I think it's you you can do it. And I want you to, I want you to do that. And I think, I think one thing going forward is that maybe I have to not necessarily curb my uncomfortableness, but just sort of be accepting that I will, I will be uncomfortable because I want you to say what you think, even if I don't agree with it, just to make, cause I don't ever want anyone to not say what they're thinking just because I disagree with it. And maybe you'll change my mind on a subject, and maybe you won't, but I feel like the conversation needs to be... I think no more... Uh, maybe no more me just being like, no, 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 no. <laughs> maybe that could be the conversation. You can say whatever thing you think, if it as long as it ties in with what we're talking about. Right. I think it would be weird if you were going off on some rant in the middle of a movie that has nothing to do with it. Then I would be like, okay, red light, red flag. <laughs> but I think that I... Yeah, I I I know it's something in general that I I need to just to be more accepting that like people are going to say things that make me uncomfortable that I may not agree with, and I think part of the problem for me too is that I'm because I'm such a nervous person, <clears throat> I never know the right thing to say until many days later where I'm like oh I should have responded <laughs> I just got to come and I didn't say anything, and I think I need to learn. Two, that this is a podcast that we're recording months in advance, that if there was something that I was like, oh, I should have responded, I can, I can do that <laughs> if I want to. And if I don't want to, I think, I think also you've been really good at not making me talk about things that I don't want to talk about. You're okay with that. You're not accusing me of being a horrible, <laughs> you know, like turning my back on the world guy. So I feel like I have to in turn let you talk about all the things you want to talk about. So whether I like it or not, if we're going to have a show that's talking about opinions, you have to be able to express your opinion and not be silenced. Um, yeah,
0: I want, I, I want to. I, I want to share. I, I, I want to share a, a, a funny little anecdote that maybe it like bring us to a place of, that's more talking about. Like, let me say, I have reached the end of my notes. I have. You have allowed me to say and get out. All of the ideas that I wanted to get out about this and some of them I probably twice or three times because (laughs) I just needed to say them so much. But I want to share a like maybe an example and also maybe a a humorous digression that can get us to the end of this. So the other day, a friend of mine who's a comedian in Seattle uh, posted my top five all time comedies and then asked other people to share theirs. I think you'll like his five, his top five. They're pretty great. What are they? Blazing Saddles. Yep. Trading Places. Ooh. Although he might have said Trading Places. <laughs> Bowfinger. Oh. Arsenic and Old Lace. Ah. And a Serbian film. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. For those who don't know what a Serbian film is, I would say it's not really a comedy. <laughs> that is not but I guess if you were in a certain I don't even need to go into it. Look it up. You'll see what that movie's famous for. Uh that's shocking. And is he saying that to be a wise or is this person saying it to be a wise person? I don't know if this is a man or a lady. Uh wise guy, wise gal. Yeah. Or do they legit think this is a comedy? Or is this like are they punking
0: is this a punk? Uh, but he so, so he says he says later in the thread number f- number five is it is terrible and will make you want to never leave your shower is i that- mean it probably would admit laughter
1: and like nervous laughter because you're just stuck watching this that is a movie you will never be able to watch <laughs> you don't ever try to watch it And i'm saying this to everybody out there that is it's about hard things but I, I know that's one that I can't. <laughs> I was like, the first four, I was like, this list is, I could see this list. And then you
0: dropped the a bomb at the end there. Yeah. <laughs> so, <Dear. laughs> so, it's a, so that's whatever. Every, every, these kind of things, they can be fun, fun they can be whatever. <laughs> but when I looked at the list, top five comedies, and no one had one Woody Allen film. On this list. And these. I mean I, I don't know if that's a. You know. I just don't. I don't think that would have been possible. In. two thousand In the year 2000. To make a list. Of the greatest comedies ever made. And not include any Woody Allen ones. And. The people that. You know they have all these Farrelly Brothers films on there. Or films like. Films That are not really allies to women in any way. (laughs) And it just, it struck me. And I think this is the, this is the really the negative thing is that these films were so central to the experience of anyone who loved film and film comedies for many, many decades. Like there's just this weird thing of having to just partition this huge amount of work, like the work of Charlie Chaplin. You know, like, okay, well, now he's a communist, so all of his films are communist. And I can't say I like one of them. I can't say that The Great Dictator is a great film, because then I'll be seen as a communist. So I, I, it makes me wonder, like, there, I wonder what the internet was like in the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> um uh in
1: any decade, it's a miserable place from the beginning of time to the, the world ends, the internet is terrible
0: well I, I i'm not even I'm not even sure. I just feel like I just feel like there's again, it can be a, it's just a tool. It can be a tool for good or a tool for ill, and it's definitely be being used as a tool for ill in And in this case, it's just sort of like you you can just sort of see what's what's missing. From the conversation. And so, of course, I, I posted my top five films, all Woody Allen films. <laughs> Take the Money and Run, Deconstructing Harry, Love and Death, Crimes and Misdemeanors, and Annie Hall. Those are my five. What would be your five Woody Allen films? If you're going to pick oh, your gee. top five.
1: Well, the thing is, I haven't seen a movie of his in like... Tw- like I haven't seen anything he's made after the year 2000. So like, there's a big gap.
0: <laughs> I think all of those I, that I mentioned were pre. No, I think you haven't seen yeah. deconstructing Harry.
1: That was pre. That was pre two thousand. I've seen that. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm. You know, I'm boring. I like the really early, just funny stuff like Sleeper, Love and Death, Bananas, Take the Money and Run, Annie Hall. Yeah, you know, that's. Yeah. <laughs> that's, but I mean, Broadway, Danny Rose. Yeah.
0: In the, so during, during this, like, someone uh, posted five—I like, I posted about how, like, comparing him to the Farrelly brothers, uh, because—and mm-hmm. a friend of mine, good, cl- close friend again, someone who I can have these conversations with, we don't fight about it. Uh, he posted his five uh, Farrelly brothers films, Kingpin, <laughs> Me, Myself, and Irene, Osmosis Jones, Something About Mary, and Hall Pass, the director's cut. What? <laughs> Where's the three stooges? I know. I know. And then I said, I said, thank you for proving my point. And he was like, yeah, Judy Davis is a laugh riot. And then I shared with him her scene, her big scene from Deconstructing Harry to prove the point that, yes, she is a laugh riot. Lucy. You
3: schmuck, you bastard. I'd have to cut your fucking head off. You're upset, right? How could you do that? Didn't you know what would happen? What would it Don't! About? Answer me, prick. You knew. You just didn't give a shit.
4: Look, why don't you take your coat off for a second and just.
3: How could you write that book? Are you so selfish? You're so self engrossed, you don't give a shit who you destroyed. You told our whole story. All the details. You gave me away to my sister. Marvin's left me. He's gone. Hey, I was loosely based on us. Don't bullshit me, motherfucker. Who do you think you're talking to? One of those retarded talk show hosts I live through it with you okay I know how loosely faced it is Hey, what are you telling me? That your your blind grandmother caught us fucking one day? Never. No, no. Of course, of course. You made a few stupid exaggerations, or you know, as the critics say, inspired comic flights. But Jane recognized it. Well, you'd have to be submental not to. And Marvin was crushed, crushed. Jane suspected us. I can't tell you how long. Yeah, I, I know, I know, and I denied it. And now you've gone and you've gone and confirmed it all for us. I mean, big fucking deal. You, you made Leslie shorter. Big fucking deal. But it's all here. The poor schmuck country doctor, the violinist, her younger sister in Connecticut cheating with her husband. The picture window, for Christ's sake. Cruel observations about Marvin with his barbecue and his chef's hat. And of course, Jane, or as you pathetically disguise her, Janet. Here it is. It was not simply that Leslie had become numbed with the inane spate of leaden perceptions that passed for wit for Marvin. It was not even the image she shared wickedly with Ken of Marvin's flaccid, microscopic member jiggling up and down as he bounced naked on tiptoes across the rugless, icy floor of their Connecticut home to close the storm windows. It was that she had never loved him. But, but but, wanted to have children to retaliate against her older sister who did not have a maternal bone in her being and whose every inch, Leslie felt, was occupied by gluttonous self-love. Ken ran his hand over Leslie's large, round breasts and mounted her from the rear. Oh, big fucking deal. You gave her large Leslie, breasts. please. Lucy. I'm Lucy, motherfucker. Not Leslie. Except, of course, I am, Leslie, because you made no attempt to disguise anything. You didn't give a fuck. You you... didn't care enough to disguise anything.
4: Please, Jesus. You
3: pulled out two years ago. You broke my fucking heart. You left your wife and me for some little coups. Me and Janet.
4: Jane, Janet is the character in that book.
3: Now, two years on, Your latest magnum opus emerges from this sewer of an apartment where you take everyone's suffering and turn it into gold, literary gold, everyone's misery. You even cause their misery, but mix your fucking alchemy and and make it into gold like some fucking black magician. Hey, give me a break. I'm the one who wound up in Bellevue. You deserve it and worse. Mm -hmm. Lucy! You ruined my life. I'm coming to blow my brains out. What's wrong with you? In front of you. In front of you, on your carpet. You... Because you caused it. My fucking brain's on your you're carpet. You're so fucking
4: unstable.
3: Will you well, relax? that's why you, you picked me, isn't it? That's what turns you on about me. Jane's crazy sister. Oh, calm down. You're not going to kill yourself. No. No, you're not. Because it's not
4: in you. You're not, you're, you're not the dramatic type. You never were. J- Jane is the dramatic sister. Jane is the, the solo violinist. Relax, for Christ's sake. You're right.
3: I don't have the nerve to kill myself. I knew it, you know, as I came over here. I said, no, not me. Better to kill him. Pardon me? Kill the black magician so he can't spin any more gold out of human misery.
4: Lucy, what's wrong with you? Shut
3: up! Put, put it down. You're so Lu- fucking verbal. Put it down. Who else could have taught me into giving Lucy. him a blue job at my Lucy. father's Lucy. funeral? Lucy, think it over you. <laughs>
4: Just stop right there! No, don't shoot, don't pull the trigger. Look, look, if it makes you happy, I'm, my life has been going very badly, I've been miserable. My girl left me, she went off with a close friend of mine. Everything's been insomnia, i got herpes, I squandered everything I have on shrinks on and lawyers and whores, Teague syndrome. Look, I'm not gonna stand up here on this fucking roof with a, a world-class machigana cunt and beg for my life. If you wanna shoot me, shoot me. I was working, you interrupted me. So whose
3: life were you exploiting today?
4: You know, I, you'll be very happy writing them. I was working on a little autobiographical thing about when I was first married.
3: Harvey Stern
4: married too young, mainly to get out of his parents' apartment, which was a rent-controlled cornucopia of guilt, antagonism, and soul-deadening criticism. By day, he labored listlessly
0: in a shoe store. By night, he glowed intensely over his Remington portable.
3: Are you coming to bed?
0: For those of you who have not seen Deconstructing Harry, it, I think it's my favorite Woody Allen film. And because it's the one film where he really takes on this kind of stuff, takes on Woody Allen as a, as not the lovable schmo that mm-hmm. he is but as like a a messed up figure and it's a dark
1: movie it's it's dark it's funny but it's dark because of sort of where he goes with it
0: which i think it, but i think that's a, that's what makes a filmmaker great i think that is those these are the signs of a great filmmaker you know that they keep evolving and that they do address themselves and the negative things that they they think about themselves and the negative things that other people think about them in their work. Mm-hmm. And we talked I, about it that in our Brown Bunny episode of yeah. like, that if that movie was a pleasant movie,
1: that would be a lie. But yeah. the fact that it is an ugly, problematic movie, that at least Vincent Gallo being honest <laughs> about who he is, whether you like it or not, that's the movie he should be making is Brown Bunny.
0: Not, you know a PG everyone is Friend movie. Right. And if you look at this, like, it's just like, <laughs> I just, I love artists who are not just fully self aggrandizing. And, you know, I, I think it make, I think it's harder. I, I Were you like this? When I was a kid, I learned from comedies to be self deprecating. Mm-hmm. And when you're self deprecating as a middle schooler, all you're doing is writing material for your bullies. <laughs> like you say some sort of jokey negative thing about yourself, and then that ends up getting used to torture you by people who don't get the joke, but it doesn't matter. And again, maybe that informs why I have I, I become the kind of person I am. Um, but I always think it's weird when someone uses someone's film that they use to be critical of themselves as evidence that that person is a narcissist. <laughs> like it's the opposite. So, uh, deconstructing the world is wrong with Andras and Brian. Deconstructing is this been? This has probably been more deconstructing Andras than deconstructing Brian. But we can do yeah, a I deconstructing wonder, Brian episode. So. Yeah, what would that be? I don't even
1: know. Like, is I i have nothing where i feel has been bottling up i you know like we said long time ago we're very much you know this, we, this episode should start with the way we were song <laughs> it's like yeah i'm robert redford you're barbara streisand i'm just busy, busy hand being handsome and you know not getting involved <laughs> and you're you're in the trenches fighting and being angry and having people be angry at you. And you're totally fine with that. So <laughs> this is, I'm,
0: I'm mostly this fine with
1: that. <laughs> mostly fine with it. But uh, yeah, I don't even know what, Yeah, you know, the thing is I'm very open. I feel about a lot of my personal stuff. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, I'm also a very private man. So I don't even, yeah, I wonder, I could come up someday. I wonder what that would be. Interesting. thing. What would be my unpacking episode? I don't know.
0: I guess when you get uh, when you get attacked and blamed and pilloried for being my friend, then. (laughs) But that still is then about you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can do an episode uh, like with like how hard it was to be friends with Andras Jones on someone else's podcast.
1: (laughs) Be like, oh, yeah,
0: (laughs) it was difficult. People really made it hard for me.
1: And for and I think it's good. I don't know we've ever talked about this before. And, it's, and I feel like we're kind of wrapping up. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. I feel like we're at the end. Uh, I hope that you got out what you wanted to get out. <laughs> I hope this worked for you. And what's good is we can always point to this. We can always be like, you don't, like, maybe it's like, you just listen to this episode if you want to know what's going on. Uh, but I think for those out there, it's important to know maybe, or not, but I think it's just interesting that for every episode we do, There are hours of conversations we have before that are unrecorded where we talk about that episode. There's like, if this was a movie, there would be definitely the crate giant uh, making of like, if there was a get back of, (laughs) of us, like the amount of phone calls we have for months, even before a thing, there's a lot of talk about how we talk about, what are we going to talk about? Like, and I think this is why we do the show is because we had these conversations for years you know, not often, but we when we hung out, we would have these long, day-long conversations about movies and the people involved. And that's when you shared with me your views on Oliver Stone, which I've never forgotten and shared with other people. Uh, see, I forget what episode you said, talked about it in. Uh, in the, the November Men episode. The November Men. And uh, it's just, yeah, I really, I think that I'm really happy that we're able to keep kind of this dialogue about movies and, and also occasionally get personal. I think is important. I think a lot of people on shows just talk about movies or in life we'll just talk about stuff and it's good to occasionally open up a little bit. <clears throat> so,
0: yeah, and uh, <laughs> for those of you I uh, for those of you who, who enjoyed this conversation, uh, I'm glad and for those of you who uh, found it taxing or annoying or even off topic, just know this is this is definitely a digression. We're going to get back into talking about a movie, or you know, sometimes a particular artist. In every episode, we're not going to do this a lot. Maybe next, you know, when maybe there'll be a time in the future where something else will come up where we do feel like we need to do this. Convers- do this, um, and I I hope that this does mean that in the future we will be looking at a Woody Allen film. We've done one Woody Allen film, but it isn't really a Woody Allen film. The Front, which he starred in but didn't write or direct, and there are definitely some. Woody Allen films. I'd like to talk about how the world is wrong about n- that. Have nothing to do with this conversation, but just have to do with hey, Curse of the Jade yeah. Scorpion is a really good movie, and even like Woody Allen films are always fans are always knocking that one. Like so, <laughs> so um, this could be
1: a good big sidebar for people. It's like you don't have to have this conversation. We don't have to have this conversation anymore. Right. Or you don't have to make these points anymore. You've said your what you're going to say here, and so then we can do something like that, and then we can just. You, we don't even need to point to this; it's just, it's there, or we can't point to it, and you can just talk about the movie. Yeah, if you want to talk and, about
0: the Woody Allen's larger story, check out this episode. But to on this episode, we're going to be talking about dot 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 film, and you know, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well then let's just let's just wrap this up. Let's if, if you know what if we don't get some response to this episode. I mean, I won't even understand it. I I our our email is contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. dot com, and I know you must have thoughts and feelings about this. Please share them with us. Don't attack us for it. I hope. I hope you won't certainly don't attack Brian for it because he is you know. <laughs> but 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 don't attack if you can engage this. Share points of view. Share why you think differently or why you think the same or share thing examples that we left out that, you know, because of the, because of our points of view, we don't, we, we do not claim to know, to be the final word on anything but our own opinions. And, you know, we're very open to hearing from you. And I hope that those of you who have, you know, who have an intelligent response, be it negative or positive, will share it with us because it will help us to fo- to deepen our opinions, our thoughts, our knowledge. And so please yeah. please write to us. You can find us on Instagram at the world is wrong podcast. You can find us on on Twitter at world is wrong pod. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at www.theworldiswrongpodcast.com. Tomorrow uh, next week we're going to be talking about the film The Hotspot from Dennis Hopper, oh, yeah. a film yeah. that we love like we love the film yeah. unreservedly even though we ha- we may have questions about the artist who created it and we still you know love that artist to the extent that he yep. made a film that we adore and we also kind of go
1: through his whole filmography too so and it's a very small one so if you have the time watch that small handful of movies and then you'll be even more enlightened uh, when we get to that episode
0: Yes, and uh, you may have gathered we've already recorded that episode, so we know it's good. We're not just, you know. It is good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, thank you, Brian. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Sinead O'Connor, for giving it all to be an example of the perils of the wrongness of the world, and um, yeah, yeah. And thank you all for listening and and being a part of this. Um, hey, Brian, is it okay? I I have a question for you. Sure. The answer is no. We'll cut this out. Uh, but do you mind if I go out on this with a song I wrote about? Well, it's a it's a song called Dylan and Moses. And you know, if there's
1: ever a time to do it. <laughs> Just just, just do it.
0: (laughs) I'm going to throw it on the end here. And I hope you like it. And until next time, please remember that the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. and Dylan? Who is the hero? And who is the victim of Mia and Woody? Woody and Mia? You gotta choose Moses or Dylan? That's right, it's either Dylan or Moses. Don't fight, you can look them up all you like And make up your own prognosis About Woody and Mia Mia and Woody And then we
2: Crowd collectively What about soon,
0: you? She's married happily While Sinatra's baby's on network TV Some kind of sequel to that film by Polanski Shot in the Dakota in 1968 They wanted it all But they just had to wait For Dylan and Moses For Moses and Dylan For Ronan and Sue Sunny and Ronan and Woody and
2: Mia, Mia and Woody, Dylan and Moses and Ronan and Sunny and
0: Woody and Mia, and all of the rest, Mia and Woody, Ronan and Sunny.
1: Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall.
0: Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via
2: Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform.